Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy Thomas Jans. Thomas, what's going on, man? Hey, Dmitry, how are you? Nice to nice to be on again, and and nice to be here to discuss awards. Yeah, that's what we're going to do today. You know what? I think the first time I had you on the show was like maybe three or four years ago before you work with the Panthers. And, oh yeah, because uh, I think I was going to helping you like fill out your ballot. It was right before awards. I remember right. we were like kind of discussing some of the names oh, and nice. tossing it out. It's funny because <laughs> I remember at the time we were like, man, like we were kind of on an island with our Sean Couturier for Selkie. It was, it was during the, <laughs> it was during the heyday of like Bergeron, Kopitar, and Taze, right. and it was like no one could break into that triumvirate. <laughs> and now, uh, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to have. Uh, yeah our day our vindication well you know it's funny to be you know speaking about those times before i worked for the panthers because i I was the only guy for example the first year that i had a vote which was after the Mm 2014-15 season and i had brian campbell fourth on my norris ballot right because his defensive impact was through the roof right and uh, and I was the only person in the PHWA who gave a vote to Brian Campbell of any kind. And I remember looking, you know, this was before the PA, PHWA unveiled who had made the votes. And I remember looking through and, I, and, and there was like a bunch of Panthers fans excited. They were like, someone voted for Brian Campbell. Like, yay, like good for them. They are paying attention. Oh. And uh, and I was and I was like, oh, that's the exact amount of points that you get for a fourth round, uh, fourth place vote. I'm the only guy who voted for. I remember Brian a couple of years ago um, during the awards when they like released them. I was I noticed like uh, Josh Manson had like a fourth place vote or something for the Norris, and I was like, "Who the hell did this?" And then all of a sudden, I get a DM from our buddy Charlie O'Connor. He's like, "Hey man, leave Josh Manson alone." <laughs> <laughs> I think we I think we got our answer, but no, it's, it's always it's always fun to look through it and obviously there's a lot of uh like team-based uh not homer nods Absolutely. where it's like mm, this like broadcaster for this one team gave their hometown guy a third place bid like, it's like <laughs> where did that come from but so today we're gonna we're gonna do awards talk i don't want people to get too bogged down bogged down with like we have a guy second we have a guy fourth or whatever right. like we're gonna go through all the awards i'm using it much more as like a 
sort of launching pad for us to just discuss some of the best players in the game, the seasons they're having, go through it, um, talk about different positions. So I'm viewing it from that lens. We'll get to like our like one, two, three, whatever, but I don't want people to be too worried about that. It's more so about the players. Sounds good. I'm let's ready start, to let's go. start with the Calder. Let's I know do it. You, you have some. You I have just some, wrote it. You have some takes about it. <laughs> I have some. I have some Calder takes. So I think it's pretty clear. Like one, two. It's like one A, one B between Makar and Hughes right, right now. And then, but is it? Because I think the consensus is Makar by a lot, and I think that consensus is wrong. Which is why I wrote a column about it. Now, why do you think that is? Is, is it because of last year's playoff showing, and then some of the highlight reel? Act, like goals and moves we've seen from him so far because Hughes certainly has that same amount of like when you watch him that wow factor yeah but it does feel like maybe like I think his, it's subtle it's though much more subtle like, yeah I think I think with Hughes it's things that don't always necessarily result in goals it's like oh you should say Quinn Hughes Quinn Hughes way, right of when course we're talking about the Calder yeah. the right Quinn Hughes the thing with Hughes is a lot of the plays are like oh wow I can't believe he escaped that guy and and keyed a breakout um, you know unfortunately it just resulted in a one and done shift or wow the way that he walks the line I've never seen anything like that but you know, they don't always sort of lead to these highlight reel goals. Yeah. Whereas with Makar, you know, that wrist shot is such a ridiculous weapon. And when he scores, those highlights get shared widely. And, you know, he seems to be like our hockey's favorite player. Um, you know, I think he's got a lot of that buzz from his days in college. And then obviously the fact that he garnered some national attention during the playoffs mm -hmm. last year with how well he played. And then, you know, I think his counting stats were absolutely through the roof, especially earlier in the season. Hughes has kind of caught up a bit, but Hughes didn't start the season on PP1 in Vancouver, and uh, so there was a while there where the gap in their production was perhaps a little bit wider than it than it will be by season's end, especially because, you know, the, the point of the column that I wrote anyway was McCarr's been on a, you know, pretty significant shooting percentage bender, right? He's scoring on a ludicrous number of the shots that he takes. It was like 17% at, at even strength before he got hurt. And yep. I mean, that's better than Steven Stamkos' shoots over the course of a full season. And, you, you know, you can't convert any more efficiently than Steven Stamkos, especially if you're a defenseman. And, you know, power play too, right? Like tons of favorable bounces. And I just figured that it would get closer than that, especially because Hughes's uh, five on five impact and especially his defensive impact to come back to Brian Campbell, right? Is, is Brian Campbell like. Uh, which is pretty insane for a 20-year-old defenseman. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into some of those numbers then. So Makar is shooting 13.8 per uh, individual. Overall, yeah. yeah, overall. He's got a 12.9 on-ice shooting percentage, mm -hmm. and then uh, 922 uh, Yeah, 105.3 PDO for the PDO cast. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. So clearly, I think if anyone's making an argument that he is a true talent, 13.8% shooter personally like they <laughs> right. defensemen do not do that no. especially at a volume what I will say about him is it does seem like um, he's a bit more similar to Quinn Hughes actually I'd say like a bit more selective mm -hmm. in his shots like he's not like Brent Burns in it where he's just nope. taking shoot, taking shots from the point low percentage ones and just trying to get it on net like it does seem like he's much more like selective in terms of working the angles and holding on to the puck an extra second so if he winds up coming back down to like, I think he'll be an above average. Oh, he's definitely a special yeah. marksman from the back. Um, so there's a regression coming there. I think the most, uh, the, where he's going to regress the most is probably uh, on that plus minus. He has, I think he's like plus 10 or whatever. I know yeah. people are going to cite that. I think this, the save percentage, especially with the way the avalanche play, I like Grubauer and Francis a lot, but they're like so much off the rush. And that's why I think with Makar, 
McKinnon and the Avs in general are going to have this shooting percentage that is going to be above what people expect all year, and it's going to throw people off a bit because they're going to keep expecting regression. Um, but that leads to obviously more coming back the other way. So I yeah. think there's like a middle ground there where he he and the rest of the Avs players are probably going to enjoy some favorable shooting percentages all year. But clearly, this is not going to continue. Yeah, and and you know I think. McCarr's abilities offensively are through the roof. Yep. I think at this point in his career, he's more developed than Hughes is in that sort of part of the rink. I think he's got Hughes, an extra year on him too. Right? He's got an extra year on him, and he's also, but he's less developed. I think defensively. I mean, obviously, we've seen what McCarr can do with his feet on the breakouts, and and he's a very bright player. By no means is he not a good like he's a really advanced defensive player too for his age. But I think Hughes is already like a through-the-roof, high-end defensive piece in terms of the impact that he has defensively. And obviously that's not his in-zone play, but it is sort of the way that teams just don't generate at nearly as much against the Canucks when Hughes is on the ice as, as they do in all other situations. Yeah, so he has got that 5-on-5 five five impact. He also, as soon as he went on the top power play, he yeah, basically made a great, like yeah. a league-best unit. And what I like is, um, you know, it's been just a couple games, but with Edler out, it feels like, you know, Green's relying upon him a bit more. He he has 24, 24, 24 minutes and 25, 22 yeah. in three of the four games Edler's missed. So I love to see that. Like, I, I want to see, uh, I understand why you kind of want baby steps and you don't want to just like expose a 20 year old defenseman to 25 minutes a night. But well, think about too how the Canucks have performed with Edler out of the lineup the last two years, right? Like the, the club's midseason swoon, the 11 in a row that they lose happen annually when Edler is injured, right? Uh, Hughes sort of has provided some insurance against that. And I, I think that by the second part of this season, you're going to see him genuinely playing more than Edler five on five, even when they're both in the lineup, obviously he's played over 20 minutes, just at five on five, the last two games, like yep. the Canucks haven't been drawing a ton of penalties recently, but he's still playing huge minutes. And, you know, I think McCarr with graves on that Av second pair, like I, I don't suspect that, you know, in, unless there's sort of further injuries once Makar is back in the mm-hmm. lineup. Uh, you know, yep. I know he's not playing again uh, early this week, but, uh, you, you know, once he is back in the lineup, I, I do suspect the Avs will be a little bit more reluctant to... Ex- I, I, like, I just can't, couldn't see them, even if Eric Johnson got hurt, rolling out Girard and, you know, Makar as a first pair. Yeah. Right? Whereas I think Hughes genuinely will will end the season having played more minutes and, and a larger role than Makar. I think he'll be a bigger part of Vancouver's success. And, and as Makar sort of begins to regress uh, a little bit, uh, you know, I think their counting stats will end up being a lot closer than they were early in the season, which is why I just think by, you know, the time people are having this conversation, maybe not at the midpoint, but mm. 60 games in, I just think that it's going to feel very different and that Hughes may yet be the front runner in this race. Yeah. Well, is there even a third guy that's like, knocking at the door there isn't right like it's, it's a pretty I don't think so. race. i think I, I think it's a two-horse race personally and then you know there's a lot of rookies who are obviously having an impact i mean mm-hmm. you know olifson was a was a player i just saw live in vancouver when the uh, sabers and the canucks played a scintillating 6-5 afternoon game and olifson had two points and and you know i thought he played pretty well but he also sort of looked like steve buscemi uh in that movie right like <laughs> what's going on kids right like he's kind of the old dude crashing the yeah. uh, high school party right yeah he's gonna be 25 this summer yeah so you know i, I mean not that that 
look, the Selkie rules are, or sorry, the Calder rules are what they are. Yeah. Uh, no, he's eligible. He's eligible. But I think so, from a degree of difficulty perspective, being a 20 year old defenseman versus a 25 year old forward yeah. who's strapped to Jack Eichel is like, right. like apples and oranges. Totally. Say, so. Well, and the history of it, right, is the Makarov. Um, you know, won it and yeah. he was like 30. Right. And they were like, well, that's, but you know, I do, th- I do kind of think like, you know, not, not that 25 is a ridiculous sort of age to cut it off, but I mean, we saw it with Panarin and you see it with some of these European players who, who yeah. come over a little bit later and, mm-hmm. and they are NHL rookies, but they're four or five year yeah. pros, yeah. right? Like there are guys who have played six years in the NHL who are the same age as Olofsson. Like it's not the same as a guy jumping from college to the NHL the way that, you know, Hughes, McCarr or an Adam Fox, for example, have done this season. I think it is cool though. Like, um, you know, if you're just looking at Evolving Wilds goals above replacement model, I think McCarr's first right now tied with Marshawn. Hughes is fifth. And then you've got like Heiskanen in the top 10. You've got Marino high. Um, and so you just have like all these young defensemen, I think, more so than getting uh, too worked up about that ranking and thinking that means that he's been the most valuable player in right. the league. I think it does kind of show the changing of the times where, I mean, we saw it last year with Heiskanen and, and, and Dahlin, yeah. but it's like, it's cool that now teenage and 20 and 21 one year old defenseman can actually be like trusted to play top four minutes yes. and it's not like this crazy thing like it feels like every team has at least one of these guys now that's like playing big minutes for them. you mean you don't need 200 games to yeah. determine what an nhl yeah. defenseman like, no, is you have to pay your dues you got to ride some buses in the <laughs> yeah. NHL before you get out here like no well you know what though it also reflects the changing game that we watch every night like how many times do you see a team on the rush where the defenseman neither defenseman on the pair takes fourth man's ice right yeah. like it only happens when you're leading under five minutes, right? Like in all other situations, you're coming. True for defensemen, whether they're amic offensive producers or not. There was some, uh, there was a goal the other night. I saw, I think it was last week, uh, the, uh, the abs were playing the Habs and Colorado scored a goal where McCarr took it from his end of the ice. That was like a one man rush. He took it. Oh, that was to a the ridiculous net, goal. And then Ryan Graves put it in his defense <laughs> yeah. partner. And both guys were like inside the crease at five on five scoring this goal. And I was like, what just happened there? Well, and I bet you if I bet you if they were asked post game, one of them made a misread. Like yeah. Graves probably did think it was a winger. And fair enough. I mean, McCarr is <laughs> looks that skilled that yep. he could be a forward out there. But, you know, I bet you that that was not something that Bednar wanted them to do necessarily, but, uh, you know, it still sort of does reflect that, yeah, there's an increased emphasis on this kind of positionless hockey. And, you know, you'll see defensemen lurking increasingly, like even on in zone play, like switching with forwards, playing the half wall, like, you know, you're, you're seeing that more and more. And, um, you know, it used to like just be Dan Boyle and now, and now every team has someone who can do it. And, you know, it's sort of resetting how we think about, young defensemen and then I think it's going to reset how the NHL pays young defensemen like mm. you look at Wierenski and McAvoy this past summer and right you know I mean Wierenski scored more goals than God and ends up with five million dollars over three years yeah. and and we've all obviously seen with Eichel and Marner and Matthews like what's happened to the forward market for uh for second contract you know elite players and you know I think we are going to see something like that happen with defensemen and and we're going to see it happen 
precisely when Hughes and Makar, right, and Heskinen and Dolan all expire at the exact same time in the summer of 2021. Like that class, the way that we talked about forwards for four months at Mm -hmm. the end of last season up until the last of them signed in early October, like we're going to be doing that with the defensive class of 2021. And I suspect at least a couple of them are going to break through that like Drew Doughty, Thomas Shabbat, $7.58 million wall. Like I think with how good Heskinen is, how productive Makar is going to be, yep. you know, how dynamic Hughes has been already in Vancouver. Like, surely we're going to find our first $10 million second contract defenseman here in the next couple of years. Well, it's changing a lot because there was that brief period of time where it felt like teams were sort of using their leverage to make calculated bets on this stuff, like the, the Roman Yossi contract, uh, Oscar Clefbaum. I guess the Preds did it also with Ryan Ellis, but it was a lot mm-hmm. of these, like, before these guys explode, um, you kind of, like, get them for six years or whatever sure. at this below um, below market cap hit. But now, since the, since the defensemen are coming in at such a young age and making such an immediate impact, you kind of lose that ability because they're already accumulating the impact and the counting stats. So you don't right. have, like, you can't really take that educated bet anymore because they've already proven that they're that guy that you would have paid for otherwise. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and I think... You know, like the the part of the reason, though, that you're able to do this is like Yossi was a 25 point guy, like with Weber on the Preds, they didn't sort of give him prime power play minutes. Right. And now Makar Hughes, like these guys are all quarterbacking power plays from day one or at least within the first month of them being NHL regulars. And that kind of changes the dynamics. And I, I think that's why those kinds of deals are going to be harder and harder to find for yeah. NHL teams. Though, you know, I think about a guy like Dermot in Toronto might be a, a good sort of prospect to do that with, yeah. or or a guy like Ethan Bear, exactly, yeah, who I think saying. is um, is prob- probably deserves, you know, if, if I was placing my ballot today, I think Bear would be among my top five, just because... Better John Marino? <laughs> I, I think so, just because Bear's playing the most minutes and he's had a pretty significant like not that the Oilers have controlled play you know to to any great degree but they have way better results all told in terms of their sort of two-way play with Bear on the ice have can, you seen Marino quarterbacking that second unit power it, it, I mean Marino's unbelievable right yeah. like I, I you know look look you can't be a good pro sports league until you have a Marino playing quarterback. Yeah. Uh, but the, <laughs> no, look, Marino's, Marino's a special player and I've been wildly impressed with him. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins and their ability to, you know, we'll, we'll get into Bluger a little bit mm-hmm. later, but you know, their ability to just maximize the talent of every young man who seems to come through that organization blows my mind. And, uh, but uh, you know, for me anyway, I think bear would get bear and Fox would get the nod for me just by a hair over Marino, just because, you know, Fox has had that pretty significant defensive impact again, similar to Hughes on a team that gives up an awful lot, which, which the Rangers do. And, you know, on a, on a team that really has one scoring line and kind of plays a ton of shutdown otherwise, uh, you know, I think bear has been a crucial part of Edmonton's success. Okay. So there's two natural segues we can make here. We could talk Jack Adams, Mm -hmm. um, or we could do Norris and stick with the defenseman theme. Ooh, why don't we Why don't we run through Jack Adams quick? Because we're, we were just talking about the Edmonton Oilers, and yeah. for me, I think if the votes were placed by broadcasters today, you know, I think that Dave Tippett would win, and I don't know that it would be particularly close. Like, I, I don't think there's any other coach in hockey who could 
have the Oilers in the place they are other than other than tip. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that it's sustainable. Like, I don't think they're going to win the Pacific personally, but uh, the level of success they're having to this point, the way that he's finally figured out how to run a power play that maximizes Connor McDavid's strengths. I know it sounds ludicrous that that's something that no one else has managed yet, but no one else has managed that yet. Uh, You know, I think those are sort of signs of high-end competence. And, you know, I've always thought Tippett probably was among the NHL's better coaches Mm -hmm. just based on what he'd accomplished in Arizona uh, over sort of those few years that he spent there. And, you know, now, now that he's, you know, maximizing some elite talent and still sort of icing a disciplined team that's just a pain in the neck game in, game out, uh, you know, for me, I think he's got to be considered the front runner at this juncture. I mean, the way I view this award, though, is like I could break it up into different categories. I could do like who do you think is going to win because I agree with you. I mean, Tippett has this sort of the narrative of he inherited this team that was underperforming, underwhelming, had the best player in the world and wasn't making the playoffs. And now even if he doesn't win the Pacific, but they make the playoffs, you could like very easily point to the impact he's had and be like, well, look how he turned this team around. Um, Another guy I'd lump into that is like Ellen Vigneault, for example, just because I think we both agree the Flyers are pretty good and they're probably going to make the playoffs. And if they're one of the three Metro teams, that's a massive step up from where they were at last year. Um, But then there's that. Then there's who I think should win. And then there's who I think is the best coach, but it's just not a sexy pick. And the best coach is clearly Barry Trotz. Right. I mean, but it's like at this point, I mean, especially the success they had last year, it's like, I mean, I guess maybe we should be a bit surprised because they were like a very obvious regression candidate and they yeah. haven't at all. In nope. fact, they've gotten better. Um, but it just in terms of like a guy coming in and basically it doesn't matter who he has, what he has to work with, like he's going to get the most out of them and they're going to be a successful team. And so I think that's like the best thing you could say about a coach. And that's exactly what Barry Trotz does. Well, what about Joel Quimble? Because the Florida Panthers, as we chat today, are second in the Atlantic, which mm-hmm. is for my money the toughest division in hockey, and they have a save percentage that if it's above nine hundred, it's not by much. Right, and that's outstanding. Like that's insane. Like how do you win games with goaltending? As you know, uh, I mean, Panthers goaltenders have been hard to hit this season. Yeah, like straight up, and they're still managing to grind out games. Like you look at the sort of scores mid in mid evening, and it's. Panthers are down for nothing and then they somehow win in a shootout and it's like almost every night like that sort of never never quite out of it dynamic that the Blackhawks sort of rode to three Stanley Cups seems to have traveled with Quenville I mean that's a talented team too like that's how they're scoring their problems I don't think it's the coaching as much as like when you have and especially that power play like that cures a lot of your but their power play is not even as good as it was last year it's not I mean, I, I'm just, it's the mentality that they're, right. that, that, that they're sort of managing and they are a better five on five team too. Like yep. he's had an instant impact on that side of the game. I mean, it would have been tough not to be better from last year. Sure. Sure. But I, I mean, and their d- defense is still a problem. Yep. Like there's still issues getting organized there and, and that's, you know, an, uh, unfortunate, but the, but clearly personnel based and, and not necessarily, um, something that, you know, past Panthers coaches might have fixed but yeah I mean look I think I think Joel Quenville and if the Panthers can sort of sustain it I think he belongs in the conversation and then if we're talking about teams that are just like smart systems teams that maybe don't have the horses but play disciplined within it and seem to 
you know, consistently overperform. I think, you know, there's three guys that I'd kind of mentioned there and only one of them kind of fits the newcomer bill. But I, I mean, I think they're doing, they're all doing a bang up job. And, and one would be Ralph Kruger mm-hmm. in, in Buffalo. I mean, that team has no right to be as, you know, solid throughout yep. as, as they are. And then I would give the, uh, I would point out the Montreal Canadians. Like mm-hmm. how are the Montreal Canadians so good at controlling play? I it know. doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, it really doesn't. I mean, Claude Julien's a good coach. So. Yeah, they clearly don't have the horses, but they execute a system to a T, and they outperform their true talent to a significant degree, in my opinion. And then, you know, and, and I don't want to be called a homer, but I think Travis Green and the Canucks have a pretty similar MO there. You know, I look at the Canucks as a team with four top six forwards mm-hmm. based on true talent, and... Well, Certainly. they're paying a lot of guys as top six forwards, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the three energy lines, one scoring line is a uh, is a new way of team building. Yeah. Uh, but but you know they, I mean, this is a team with Tanner Pearson, who's probably best suited to a third line role. Josh Levo probably best suited to a third line role in, in their top six. A team with probably no true talent top pair defenseman, other than you know maybe Quinn Hughes, who is twenty years old and and five foot ten, yeah. and you know I think considering that and considering that they haven't had bounces really right like they're a middle of the road team by save percentage by shooting percentage like they have in my view anyway uh punched well above their weight uh, in terms of the you know caliber of that roster and and i think a lot of that a lot of credit goes to you know a coach who's made sure that they have you know good special teams and that they play a pretty basic kind of five on five structure and, and execute it well Okay, so I'll, I'll run you through my ballot because we actually haven't discussed any of the guys in my top three. Okay, let's go. So I've got Mike Sullivan at number one. Um, yeah, I, I like that pick. And listen, having like no team really beyond, I guess, the Leafs with Tavares and Matthews has the luxury of like Malkin's out at the start of the year. Crosby just carries the team. And mm-hmm. then Crosby goes out and Malkin just steps up and just does exactly what Crosby was doing yeah. before that. And like having that's an amazing luxury, clearly. But if you just look at that roster and you look at their underlying performance and just how dominant they've been, despite some of these, like ca- calling them not household names is, is really underselling like, <laughs> some of the names they're trotting out there and getting the most out of. And I give Sullivan credit for that because it clearly seems like they have sort of this like plug and play system where they can just call guys up from the AHL, slot them in there and get the most out of them. And I think all the juggling they've had to do because of injuries, it feels like they have like four or five key contributors on IR at all times and they really haven't missed a beat and so I think that's really impressive so I have Sullivan there um, I have Jared Bednar just because similarly so many injuries and you know having McKinnon there through it all makes it a lot easier in terms of carrying guys like Don Scoy and um, you know Calvert's played on the top line and so on and so forth but I really I love what Bednar's done from acknowledging the personnel they have which is this like young skating electric team and just empowering them to play that way where it's like they pretty clearly make a concerted effort to play off the rush. That example, as I said, with the Graves and Makar goal, you're right. That was probably like not an ideal thing for them to be constantly doing. But it does seem like that's like I think the Avs players are just like told like you can just go and just drive the net and try to score off the rush. And if it winds up coming back to bite us, we'll just outscore the team and come back and, and make up for it. So I really like when coaches use their personnel correctly and and that seems like a very sort of uh, overly obvious thing to say but there's so many coaches in today's game that 
basically have a style and then they just force their players to play play that way and even if it's not getting the most out of them it doesn't matter and in this case it really feels like the Avs have targeted certain players whether it's getting Don Square Burakovsky this summer and some of the players they drafted and then just making the most out of that person Valerie Nichushkin too can't stop scoring goals can't stop days. scoring now He's it's crazy um, and then you know you mentioned a couple of Pacific Division coaches I think Rick Tockett deserves a bit of love I mean I know he got oh, love. I agree with you he actually. got love last year because like that Coyotes team was so injured and they almost made the playoffs but they're they're Islanders West right yeah I mean just look at what he does for his goalies I think we're going to talk about Kemper when we talk about uh the Vesna goalies but man like it really feels like in that system you could basically just put anyone in there and get a 920 save percentage out of them and, and right. I think that speaks to what they're doing because I know they've invested a lot of resources in their defensemen but I don't think you'd necessarily look at that depth chart and be like this is the mo- th- these are like the 90s devils like it's like you know what I mean? Like this is a, this is a team that shouldn't, in theory, be this dominant defensively, but they are, and I think that's because of the coach. I, I, I like all of your picks. I think I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of quality coaches in the NHL. Like we've now talked about eight plus guys, and you know I think there's a lot of them who are deserving candidates, and, there, and there's probably a few others too. You know I, I do think Sheldon Keefe could be in the conversation if the Leafs put it together, right? And uh, and I do think Paul Maurice. Yep. Two should probably be mentioned here because that team has no right to be as formidable as they've been uh, to this juncture. So, you know, and, and then obviously Bruce Cassidy always <laughs> belongs in this conversation, especially considering some of the injuries that they've dealt with while continuing to be, for my money, the NHL's best team. So, look, my ballot, if I was to put three guys on it, I'd probably go tip at number one. Uh, I love your Sullivan pick. You talked me into it. Nice. Uh, Sullivan's going two for me. And my number three would be Joel Quimble. Mm. Man, the key thing is, is funny to me because, uh, by all accounts, great young mind he's gonna be an awesome coach in the nhl but just like from what the talent he's inheriting and his adjustments being just play my best players more <laughs> and like don't have austin matthews dumping the puck in empower him to just right. carry it in it's like wow these are these are some yeah. uh, some really groundbreaking strategies here T- tyson berry you're gonna play i know a little bit more now yeah we're gonna put tyson good. berry on the power play yeah uh, I'm I'm patenting it. This is my this is I'm the first one to think of doing this. Oh my god! Um, so yeah, I mean, but listen, I mean, these are uh, they're probably I mean, a joke, but they're positive adjustments. No, so I mean, credit to him for uh, for doing for that sure. because their previous coach was not doing that. Well, so. and look, this team, that Leafs team, they need to be playing track meet style, yeah. or they, you know, just aren't getting the most out of it. And I can understand why, you know, a coach would feel like they're not controlling the game in those situations, and and on and on. But but yeah, yeah, I mean, look. Points well taken. How much credit do you get from it for doing the obvious? Uh, you know, no, but I, I think that kind of goes to what I was saying about Jared Bednar, though. When you were talking for about sure. how the Leafs need to play a track meet style, it's like that's clearly the Avs view themselves that way, and that's how they are playing, and so that's the right way to do it. So I guess yep. getting a coach that does that uh, goes a long way. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here. We're going to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to keep the conversation going. Sounds good. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast is SeatGeek. SeatGeek makes getting tickets to events easier than ever before. And they're not only going to save you time, but they're going to save you money and they're going to save you most importantly effort because I know that getting tickets uh, through other ticketing websites can sometimes be so difficult and so annoying that it really makes the entire experience off-putting and makes you feel like you just don't want to go to the event in the first place. 
doesn't need to be that way though because SeatGeek's really changing the game and making it easier than ever before to do so. They're going to do all the work for you. They're going to pull together millions of tickets from all over the web into one place. They're going to rate each of the tickets that are available as a deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And then finally, for the visual learners out there, they're going to display them on an interactive seat map, breaking down the details by indicating good deals with green dots and red dots indicating overpriced tickets. And every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've found that it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. Whether it's a hockey game, whether it is a basketball game, whether it is a concert, stand-up special, you name it. If it's an event, if it's in your town, chances are SeatGeek's going to have the best tickets for it, and it's going to make getting them easier than ever before. And if that, as if that wasn't enough... Here's one final deal to sweeten the pot and really push you over the edge. Seeky's going to give you $10 off your first purchase just for listening to today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know we sent you. So download the Seeky app today and use promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. All right, let's do the Norris now. Um, since we that was our other option for the segue after the Calder. Um, here's my question. Are we overthinking it by like trying to find guys other than John Carlson to win this award? And do you think anyone can? Because it seems like he's built himself up a pretty nice little cushion here. Can anyone uh, catch him between now and then of the season? Not if he maintains something like this scoring rate, right? Like if John Carlson's a ninety-point defenseman and no one else is above sixty-five. I mean, I think that gap's hard to, you know, sort of overcome, especially because he is also. Their matchup guy at five on five, yeah. and that is a formidable five on five team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think so long as that's the resume, uh, you know, I think this is John Carlson's year. And, you know, kind of an interesting story there, right? Like, it's not like John Carlson's been an elite, elite defenseman for years and years, or, or maybe he has, but he hasn't had that reputation, right? It's not like he's the guy who's just winning it because he's John Carlson. He's kind of gotten himself there and built himself into being something, you know, a little bit more than. Certainly, I think anyone would have expected from the vantage point of five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, look, if he keeps this up, uh, you know, or, or something approximating it, if he's an 80 point defenseman, the next closest guy is 65 points. The Capitals remain an elite team five on five. Uh, you know, I, I think that he'll have a he'll have a runaway case and it'll be sort of a, a race to see who the other two finalists are. Yeah, I mean, the Norris is the ultimate. I guess the Selkie is a bit too, but the Norris is the ultimate like narrative award where it's like whose turn is it Uh, right you know let's let's reward this guy for being and that's what i'm saying with carlson it's not like anyone would have looked at this and been like you know john carlson it's his turn right like that he's kind of made himself into be this he made himself and put himself into this extra class you know uh, along with the likes of you know dowdy carlson pietrangelo like guys who've kind of had those names and those reputations and carlson's the guy who's having the best season and and not by a little bit but here's what i'll say like you know so he's got the 43 points in 32 games and i think the most common way to poke holes in his resume or his value for this award would be like oh well yeah of course he gets to play on the top power play unit with ovechkin and kuznetsov and backstrom of course he's going to accumulate the points and that's fair to an extent what i will say though is he's seventh in five on five scoring amongst all players right and only mcdavid and dry saddle have more primary assist than him so like he's in a great spot but he's also like contributing it's not like a guy who's just like riding the bus with these guys and just kind of like <laughs> yeah. get, touching the puck occasionally and getting a bunch of second assists like he's clearly a big factor for why they are successful right or a guy who's 
got like eight four on four game winners yeah. like Mike Green did that right. one year, right? Like this is a different sort of thing. And and look, it's not like they could plug and play someone into that spot. You know what I'm saying? No. Like he means a ton to that team. He's durable as anything, right? He hasn't missed a ton of time over the past few years. Obviously, he's crushes it in the playoffs. And, and you know, the other thing is that power play unit, right? Their familiarity. Like, I, I wouldn't say that John Carlson stirs the drink by any means on that Caps power play. But I do think that the reason they're so potent, like the reason that they're the template that yeah. literally everyone else has copied across the entire league is those guys have played with each other for so long. They are almost like five sitting twins out there. Like they just have a different type of understanding of where they all are. And, you know, I don't think you could remove any of them and, and have it continue to click the way that it does. And look, I full credit to him. He's a genuinely imposing defensive piece too. I mean, I think he's full value um, for the Norris. Should he maintain the form that he's shown to this point and, and sort of win it? Yeah, I'd really encourage people to watch sort of the nuances of that power play because clearly Ovechkin gets a lot of the attention and deservedly so. But like when you see those screenshots and I'm guilty of this where like you, you kind of capture a moment. It's like, how is Ovechkin that open having scored nearly 700 goals? And how is the opposing penalty kill leaving him there? And it's like, just watch what Carlson does in terms of like creating the angles and the head fakes and, and how he gets him the puck there from from the point because he's a master at that. And I, I don't think it's as simple as you could just put anyone in there. Like you could put Dimitri Orlov in there and they'd have the same success. I, I, I do think he does a lot of sort of little stuff there to, to uh, contribute to that success. Um, Real quick on this, yep. if you get a chance to see the Caps live too, watch their power play unit talk mm. before draws and stuff. Um, they also do weird things like they'll drop three guys on neutral zone on neutral zone entries and breakouts. Like it's crazy the sort of complexity that they're able to bring to their five on four play. So I have Dougie Hamilton second. I have Miro Heskinen. Okay. Let's well, let's talk about both. Sure. Let's do your guy first. You want to do Heskinen yeah. first? Heskinen is having some of the m- biggest two-way impact of any defenseman in the sport mm-hmm. in terms of the sort of relative performance of the team with and without him. And he's not doing it because he's crushing it in one end. He's doing it because he crushes it in both. And he's so smooth. He's 21 and he's playing you know, 25 minutes yep. on average per game. Um, you know, he's got 20 points and 30, like he contributes at both ends. He's as skilled as any defenseman there is. And that Dallas stars team is an elite defensive group, like a truly elite defensive team through and through. And, you know, Bishop's obviously part of that, but Bishop also benefits from circumstances like that Dallas team shuts it down and they shut it down, you know, with a tactical noose, um, that's maybe unmatched around the NHL. So, you know, if you're, Having that kind of impact, if you're that great in all ends over 200 feet and you're the sort of main piece leaned on to do the matchup role for one of the league's stingiest defensive teams. I mean, for me, you're you're in sort of no brainer and, and, you know, he may have 10 fewer points than Dougie Hamilton, but I think his two way impact is greater. And I think his overall sort of uh, crucial impact on an elite defensive team is you know, a level above what what the Canes require out of out of Dougie. Yeah, that's fair. He certainly has to do more. It's it's funny because like last year when he came on the scene, he was just like 
so fun to watch him skate and then everyone <laughs> right. was talking about him and then now you've got Makar and he's coming in and he's like not the shiny new toy anymore so right. it's very easy to, well, to kind of slip through the cracks and he's the most like Hughes and Makar do things that are a little bit more like if Makar is a little bit more spectacular than Hughes and what Hughes does is a little more subtle than Makar then you take another step down and you get to Heskinen yeah. like what makes Heskinen special is he does everything right all the time you know and, and that's kind of not as uh, sports center worthy anyway. Right, yeah. P- very positionally sound. Look at how use that stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Um, I mean, I just had to give some Dougie Hamilton some love. Like, the scoring is um, is obvious. I mean, that goal he scored against Edmonton where he faked Hilarious. the, the dump, pa- dump pass and then uh, shot it in. The Keith Yandel special. Yeah, then goes into the penalty box and tells the fan <laughs> to look at the scoreboard. I mean, Dougie, Dougie's on one right now. He's, uh, he's having fun out there. And, and um, you know, that Hurricanes team is so dominant at 5 on 5 and him playing with Slavin, like, he's clearly not asked to do too much. But I do like the fact that they're finally using him properly, it feels like, with Justin Falk out of the picture, basically just playing him full-time on special teams and giving him 23 minutes a night. And he's awesome. And all of his numbers check out, whether it is the scoring, whether it is how good the, the Canes are when he's on the ice at 5 on 5 And now that he's playing special teams, like, I, it, it's weird because you can never really have, like, just a fair down the middle opinion on Dougie Hamilton. I feel like like people unfairly bash him for all of these ridiculous personality things. Yeah, and he goes then, to museums and then feel the need to like overcompensate for it. And, and right, but I, I really do think he has been one of the best, most impactful defensemen in the league. So yeah, he'd be he'd be you know among the like for me it's Carlson and Heskinen one two, and then there's a few guys that I'd kind of look at to fill out my my ballot of five, and sort of two of them that come to mind. Off the top of my head, one is Roman Yossi, mm-hmm. and the other would be, you know, and, and I know this might not be a, a popular pick because if Heskinen gets some benefit of the doubt for me because of his central importance on one of the league's best defensive teams, then, you know, this guy's central importance on one of the league's worst sort of should probably count against him a bit. But I, I think if you look at it and you look at some of the underlying numbers, like the impact that Aaron Ekblad's having, despite having an 890 on ice save percentage, right. um, is pretty unique and i think he's improved subtly an awful lot over the past couple years and bounced back big time last year bounced back big time last year and has taken another step this year like the impact that and he's playing with a right-handed partner on his left side a guy in Mackenzie Weger who on true talent is a four or a three maybe right like a second pair guy on true talent playing a matchup role um pretty impressive what he's doing considering the the support um you know, and, and while the Florida Panthers have significant defensive issues, those issues are um, much less magnified when whenever Ekblad's on the ice. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think Shea Weber deserves to be in the conversation here. And I will say this is through 30 games. Like, he's 34. Yeah. He's missed a significant amount of time the past two years. If he keeps playing 24 minutes a night, I'm pretty worried about him holding up over 82. Sure. But his impact so far this season has been insane and something I did not really see coming. Like when he's on the ice, the Canadians are one of the best teams in the league. They and generate a lot more, just eh? Insanely good. Yeah. And he's got the scoring as well. I think he's got 10 goals already. Um, so he kind of checks off a lot of those boxes now if we're having this discussion three months from now and he's missed. 15 games right um we might need to recalibrate but right now i just wanted to give him some love because uh you know he's just been around for so long and, and it's had a couple of rough years and it's very easy to knock him because of the contract and everything but he's been like legitimately great this year i suspect we're gonna have a lot more 
like odd picks as we go where we're giving Canadians players like some unexpected yes. love. But I agree with you. Shea Weber's been full value and considering the size of that contract, that's a, that's a high compliment. And it might be weird timing to sort of bring this up because I just talked about Shea Weber who's 34, but I do think we're in a, we're like in a bit of a bridge year right now with, um, with defensemen, right? Cause it feels like we're transitioning from that, Eric Carlson, uh, Drew Doughty, um, you know, that that group of defensemen that have been sort of mainstays and locks for the top of the Norris discussion for almost a decade now yeah. to this next era of Heiskanen, uh, you know, Dallin, hopefully when he comes back healthy and bounces back, uh, McCarr, Hughes, so on and so forth. Like, so I wonder how quick that turnaround is going to be. And I guess the next logical question is we were talking about how McCarr and Hughes have been amazing. Um, I feel like there's an opening here for one of those guys to jump in into the Norris discussion legitimately, especially like filling out the ballot towards the yeah. sort of third place. Because I don't think beyond Carlson's crazy scoring season, I don't think there's like any very obvious picks in terms of guys that have to be inside of this top. Well, three. so my thing, though, is I don't typically vote for a Norris candidate who plays second pair minutes. Right. Right. That's kind of my thing. Like, and, and look, that's just my feeling yes. toward it. I just think. You have to be the guy or one of the main guys, you know, at even strength for your club to, to be seriously considered as a Norris candidate for me. And that's just my personal criteria. Now, one thing that I also do kind of think about is I do think increasingly like, you know, Heskinen, for example, versus Carlson, right? Like Carlson's an excellent defense player, not taking nothing away from him. But the reason that he is the call is the front runner to win this award is his scoring. Right. Yep. And the Norris itself is supposed to be for the best all around defenseman. And, and I do think we should probably, or the league should probably split up and, and have like, especially with how the game is changing and that new class of defensemen that are coming in and the way that they play. I mean, I, I think it would be cool if the NHL split off and had, you know, a Nor the Norris for the but best all around defenseman things, and an offensive defenseman award. Like, first of all, you should have an award named after Bobby Orr anyway. Right. And, um, you know, you should recognize more players anyway. And I think if you had a Bobby Orr, a Bobby Orr, um, sort of offensive defenseman award, right. Then first of all, Carlson maybe would win both, which would be cool. Mm -hmm. But also then I'd be saying McCarr and Hughes both, probably should be considered for this right and uh and i think that's you know just a just a good thing for the league and and just a good thing all around i think it makes sense to have an award that recognizes defensive play uh from defensemen and and right now the norris is essentially the art ross for demon and and that's not ideal yeah but we're gonna get into the selkie here in a second and and what i would say to that is i really do not trust people's abilities to evaluate defensive play no, nor do like I. That, that, that's kind of the the elephant in the room here, which is why I think people do gravitate towards scoring for this for the Norris because it's like much easier to point to that offensive impact. Sure. Whereas it feels like this defensive uh, impact discussion is much more sort of like nebulous and subjective in terms of like oh like this guy. But people are getting better at it, right? Like people yeah. are genuinely getting better at sort of the defensive side of it. You know, to the point where um, you know I think the yeah i think people are getting better at it to the point where a guy like Haskinen will get serious consideration you know whereas that would have seemed like a name out of left field five years ago right, right. so i mean 
Look, I agree with you. I'm not saying that they should split it up because then they'd get it right. I'm saying they should should split it up because I'd like to be able to reward dynamic offensive play from sort of blue liners. But with the way that the Norris is currently sort of um, said to reward the best all-around defenseman, like I do feel a need to only vote for first pair guys, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. I do think, I mean, like if you think back to like, the peak of Eric Carlson, I think there was this massive misconception that he was like a liability defensively just because you'd see these occasional highlights where like a guy would be going around him. Right. We'd miss all the times where he'd use his insane speed and stick work to like just nip a, a scoring chance off the rush in the bud completely, whereas an inferior skating defenseman would allow sure. that guy to come towards the net, right? So um, with guys like Hughes and McCarr in this next wave, they're not being relied upon to that degree yet in their career, but I do think that just because they're gifted offensively doesn't prevent them from being able to like use those skills that make them special right. to also be awesome defensively Absolutely. in different ways. No, for sure. I just, you know, I, I would like to see, um, I would like to see it sort of separated. And I, I'd also like to see it separated in part because, you know, you think about a guy like Matias Ekholm, right? Like, yep. I don't think you could trade Nashville anything for Ekholm. And one of the reasons for that is there are, like five Matthias Ekholms around the entire mm-hmm. NHL. Like the shutdown defenseman who's also fast enough to really play and check the forwards right. these days. Like how many of those exist even, right? There's just, it's so rare. Uh, but I'd like to see the value of a player like that sort of be potentially recognized anyway. Not that it necessarily would be. I mean, I still think you'd find the ballot be being Carlson yeah. and, you know, on and on. But uh, like what Carlson Heskinen, Dougie Hamilton, right? Like it'd probably be the same ballot. So, so I understand why it might be redundant, but I also do so, think uh, that I'd like to see them try and figure out a way to, you know, recognize the contributions that a unique piece like an Eck home sort of has. Or we were going to retroactively go back and give uh, Nicholas Jalmerson and Mark Edward Vlasic a bunch of awards. There you go. That's exactly what I'm hoping for. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's keep the conversation going with defensive play then. Let's talk about the Selkie. And I think this is going to be a quick one because... I really do feel strongly that it's like Sean Couturier and then like everybody else. Yeah, I agree with you. Sean Couturier is a so monster. Good. He's insane. Yeah. He's an alien. He, uh, he glides around the ice and just like perfectly arrives at exactly the moment he needs to, mm. to just completely destroy your breakout attempt. Like it is mean. It's yeah. actually, you watch it and, and you imagine being a team on a player on the other team and you can imagine feeling like he's he's being cruel to you yeah in a, in a totally different way than like being tough just like oh what are we gonna do like he's not he's cutting our head off at the stem every time like it's ridiculous yeah he's the perfect marriage of uh like physical tools because he's got that reach and and, yep. and get around the ice effortlessly it seemingly but also like the smarts in terms of like just knowing like where to go and where to be and he like reads the play three steps ahead he's so fun to watch. And he's a 60% face-off guy, and he crushes on the penalty kill, you know. And that Philadelphia Flyers team is one of the NHL's most annoying two-way clubs to to play in terms of, you know, the caliber of their team defense. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, look, I think Couturier's case is going to be pretty open shut, especially if Philadelphia continues to be as stingy as they've been to this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to see, like, how many people just give Patrice Bergeron votes here without right. actually 
having watched hockey this or, year. Or, or even looked at his games yeah. played. Yeah. Just, <laughs> oh, I mean, I assume it's what, is it still Taves, Kopitar, Bergeron with Kessler Ford. Like, <laughs> if, it's, if it's Taves, Kopitar. Get a little Jordan Stahl in there and yeah. we're, we're, we're done. <laughs> well, Jordan Stahl could be a dark horse candidate this year. You don't think so? A very dark horse, yeah. Very dark. I yeah. mean, he's been solid, right? I mean, Bianca Churi, I think it's so wide open that, like, Sure. Bluger? Can we can we speak talk what, about, what about Bluger? Bluger? Yeah. The the Bluger, Ashton Reese, and Brandon Tanev league best checking line, and I'm pretty confident that two of those three people are made up or generated by the the GM mode like yeah. two thousand twenty three draft class creative yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. They are ridiculous. Yeah. Um the Habs too have Yes. Do you want to do, you want to do your? Because uh, you you wanted to give Brendan Gallagher. I think and then Brendan, I talked you out of it. Because I think I was Brendan like, Gallagher. If Mark Stone cannot win this look, award, Brendan Gallagher and Brad Marchand are my two wingers yeah. this year, right? Like the two wingers that I think deserve a shot. But because I don't think Brendan Gallagher has any hope, I, I'm going to start to stump for for Deneau because mm-hmm. I think Deneau has been yeah. a tremendous part of Montreal's success. And you know, we we talked a little bit about Claude Julian earlier, but like Deneau and Max Domi. Right, like Max Domi wasn't even a center two years ago, yeah. And Deneau was like a fringe, a guy on a, the fringes of an NHL roster, and now those are two centers on a top five, top six forward group in the NHL. Like that blows my mind. That is incredible work by the Canadians. But look, Deneau's been imposing. The way that the Canadians control play when he's on the ice is through the roof. I think he's extremely annoying <laughs> when he's checking you and yep. and full marks to him for that. But look, Brad Marchand, I think, deserves some genuine uh, consideration here. And, and I think Philip Deneau does as well. Yeah, Brad Marchand, man. Like, watch, when you watch those Bruins games, especially on, like, the penalty kill, he's so disruptive. Like, it, it feels like just, like, so many, like, deflections and, and chasing down pucks. And, and that must just be so annoying to play against. So it's weird to say that, like, Patrice Bergeron isn't even the best defensive player on his own line. But I really do think, like, Marchand's impact out there just in terms of activity and uh, what he does to opposing teams, like, has to be considered. I, I think Brad Marchand should probably come up again, too, once we get to the heart conversation. I know Pasta's getting sort of more of the headlines, but Brad Marchand's outscored him five on five. And, yep. uh, and you know... I mean, there isn't much that Brad Marchand doesn't do in an elite level these days, right? Like, this is not a second-line pest anymore. Like, this is a truly elite NHL player and probably deserves to be recognized as such. I I think he is, increasingly, but, you know, I I think the extent to which he is a truly dominant, you know, like, probably a top-five forward in the league, um, you know, I don't know that that's sort of recognized, and it probably should be. Yeah. Keep an eye on Anthony Sorelli for this award. I don't think yeah. he's going to win it, you. but I think there's going to be, maybe not this year, but some sometime down the road, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Anthony Sorelli, look at him up there. I, I like Sorelli. I th- yeah. I've got time for that. He's yeah. uh, he's definitely doing some heavy lifting for them defensively. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Braden Point's their main matchup guy, right? right? So that's sort of the knock against him, but he's definitely starting the most shifts for them in the defensive end and, and on and on. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't ignore Sorelli for this award by any means, but... I do think that, you know, when I sort of look at... He's no at, Bluger. He's no Bluger. Like, Bluger's going to be on my ballot. I don't know I don't know what else to say about this. Can you pick Bluger out of a lineup? No. No chance. Zero percent chance. I, uh, but, but I can pick him out when he's dominating yeah. play on the ice. Like, I think that's the league's best checking line. Right? Like, I think, I think especially if, they, you know, when, when Crosby comes back and on and on, like, could Bluger, Ashton Reese, and Tanev be, like... 
you know, some 12 years later version of the Paulson Niedermeyer Moen checking mm. line? Like, could they be a dominant checking line that fuels a club's surprising playoff success? Like for me, I think so. Yeah, they're that good. And that's something that, you know, I, I, I honestly think if I was filling out my ballot today, I think Bluger would be on it. This has to be the most uh, Bluger talk on any hockey podcast. <laughs> Ever. Long, long time. Uh, okay, let's let's rattle through the rest of these. Vesna. Um, I really do think we're going to differ here. I'm pretty sure. I think Connor Hellebuck like has to be He's the number one for me. Okay, we're not. Gonna it, ha- differ. it has to be. I mean, <laughs> listen. Um, acknowledging that it's 30 games, I think the most could change in this award in the final 50 games because right, like a goalie can just randomly fall off for 10 straight games. Yeah, but where's the, where are the Jets without Hellebuck? I mean, that's the thing. Like, lottery. His, They're in the lottery. He's, his numbers are amazing this year. Like, he has a 9-33 save percentage. He's first in goal saved above average. He's played in 25 of his team's 31 games. You look at the blue line in front of them, and we thought, especially after Hellebuck's down season last year in the first year of that of a mega deal he signed, like, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a mess. And then they lose all of these defensemen. And you just start the year thinking, like, wow, the Jets are going to be just the worst defensive team. And their, their like, shot profile isn't good, but they're just not giving up goals because Connor, Connor Hellebuck has been amazing. So as long as he can keep playing at this level um, – the Jets are going to be fine. Now, whether it's smart to be relying upon a goalie to do that for full 82 games is an entirely different discussion. But just if we're talking best goalie, most impactful for the first 30, it's got to be him. I agree with you. So who do you have to? Well, so this is where we're going to disagree because I've got Darcy Kemper. Yeah. And I, I, I look at Darcy Kemper and anti Ranta yeah. and they're both above average yeah. goalies. And, you know, I like to look at the guys who like I like to give a, a bunch of additional credit to the goalies who I think couldn't be replaced simply. Yeah. Um, and so for me, number two on my ballot, Toronto Maple Leafs MVP, Freddie Anderson. Yeah. I've got him at third. So I'm yeah. right there with you. Okay, cool. I just thought like Kemper's uh, resume is just like so undeniably insane right now. It is. It's that, nuts. Like, it, and I think it's going to continue. Like, I think it's very viable because of that defense run. Right. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because no, it's, I'm talking up Rick talk his defensive system. And then I'm also saying, no, goalie. but it's just like, fair. you look at it, it's just like, at some point you just have to, I mean, and listen, it's crazy because Darcy Kemper went from like six years of being a league average backup to the past year and a half, having like a nine thirty save percentage of being the best goalie in the league in terms of goal save. It's just like, what? Yeah. No, uh, oh, I remember watching him for Team Canada a few years ago in the Worlds and being like, "Ooh, boy!" But he was on like some stingy like um, Minnesota Wild team he too, was. right? And like you'd watch him, he'd be like, "I think this guy's best attribute is that he's really tall." Right, and now and now he's like just good for sure. Um, I, he's not on my ballot at all, but mm. uh, but I I completely understand the pick. I mean, the case for Freddie Anderson is clearly like look at what every other what goalie they're that's played for them right. has done, and then look at him yes. and the fact that he's like right there with all these guys in terms of his stats behind that defense. Yeah, and I'm a little biased because I just watched him stop eight breakaways in a game against the Vancouver Canucks yesterday, and he didn't even look... The, the thing I like about Freddie Anderson the most, and I, this is like complete intangible nonsense, but the thing I like about Freddie Anderson the most is when he's on his game, he like doesn't let the opposition see him sweat. Mm. Like Some goalies sell the glove save, yeah. right? Freddie Anderson gloves it, and his glove's always high anyway, and he just takes it down, and he's like, Oh, you thought that was a dangerous chance? Yeah. Like that was easy for me. Like the way that Freddie Anderson composes himself in game is kind of unlike I've and uh, unlike much that you see around the NHL. And I, I kind of am here for it. 
he's the most consistent goalie in the league too. Like I think he has a nine twenty one save percentage this year, but like he basically since he came to the Leafs, he's just like between nine seventeen and nine nineteen or something. Yeah, like every year repeatable, right? At which, the most unpredictable ball of the position, which is right. so impressive. No, I, for me, Freddie Anderson's too. If that team gets back on track, he could he could sort of um, edge out. Uh, Hellebuck, not not that I'll have a ballot as as I'm not an NHL GM, mm. but um, you know, for me, Anderson would be the guy that I'm stumping for. For three, I guarantee you, we well, you have, I know you have Freddie, so yeah. I have Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, uh, I have Fleury and Bennington as like my right. just missed the cut. Yeah, could potentially get in there. Bennington's unbelievable, yeah. but but Jake Allen performs well behind that defense too, and that's kind He's of amazing because he sucks. <laughs> so those are kind of the things that I that I uh, that I look at. Like Malcolm Subban has not been as good. I don't I don't particularly rate that Vegas defense. Right, like I like Shea Theodore a ton, but I don't think that's. Uh, as good a defensive group as as maybe reputation would have it or as good as they are up front right and as good as they are at controlling play and, and just sort of being disciplined about playing pucks into space and, and playing a simple game yep. uh, you know i think that mark andre fleury's been essential for them sort of keeping pace in the pacific to this point and you know for me he's uh he's a pretty special player i think you know i'd like to see him get some love you know he's also one of those guys who i don't think is going to drop off right like this is who he is he's an unbelievable goaltender it's still hilarious that the pittsburgh penguins gave up a second round pick in order to give up on him um yeah pretty funny yeah i mean he went from being wildly overrated to wildly underrated to I guess now he's like appreciated. Yeah, just appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's, uh, no, he's awesome. And he's similar to Anderson. If you just look at the splits of like him versus every other goalie Vegas has ever tried in their short franchise history, like his impact is is pretty clear there. So I like the I like the flurry pick. Um, So we got the Art Ross two two horse two two Oilers race, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. McDavid. I'm not going to make a case for anyone else here. Like, no, no. I think I'll make a case for like, Leon Dreisaitl because okay. he plays with McDavid, right? <laughs> and he's got more. He's got more five on five points, I think, and more right. more um, primary points. As but well he's shooting twenty percent. But he shot twenty percent last year. Yeah, he might just be a guy who shoots at twenty percent. Yeah, no, he's a he's a freak. Um, <laughs> I don't think he is, but he is. Holy cow, he's good. No, he's insane. And do you remember coming into the season though and being like, "Well, he's gonna he's gonna regress and yeah. be maybe like a thirty five goal guy," and then it's like, "Oh no." He bends space and time. Like, that's f- fine. Fair enough. Way to go, Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. I still think you, like, it's a sucker's bet to take anyone other than McDavid. I agree with you. But if there was anyone I was going to take, it would be Dreisaitl, and, and that's because of Connor McDavid. Well, I was going to talk about McKinnon here, but let's 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 loop in the Rocket Richard here as well. Sure. Um, so Pasternak has, you know, jumped out to this lead. He's still got, whatever, the 25 goals. Um, I do think, like, it's a great story, and... Just based on how ridiculous his shot is and also the fact that like he's the main trigger man on that power play and he plays with Marshan and Bergeron who also like require their own attention, I think it's tough to opposing defenses can't just like limit his time and space and key in on him because the Bruins can beat you in so many different ways. So like I think it's possible that he's gonna have a crazy shooting percentage because he's actually been getting better and better every year and He's not going to be like over 20%, but he could be in the high teens. And at his volume, he could score a ton of goals. I just think like we're getting too cute here with 
forgetting the fact that Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer ever, and he's quiet, quietly on pace again for like fifty three or fifty four goals while <laughs> yeah. shooting at his career norms. And there's like, it's insane that all year this guy can be just on pace for fifty goals, and there's like nothing unsustainable about his his. In fact, in fact, he's probably going to do a little bit better than he's done to this point. Yeah, right. Like he's yeah. only shooting ten percent at evens. I know. Right. Like he's. It's crazy. He, he's probably due for some bounces. Yeah. Which is nuts because he's 21 goals already. It's <laughs> and, and what I feel like if I was placing a bet here, I'd go with him also because I feel so confident about his like durability too, right? Like, right. You he just is. know he's going to be on the ice and he's not going to have any down periods. Like he's going to score every other night. Yeah. And Russian machine never breaks. It's crazy, man. He, yeah. uh, yeah. And you know what? I think it is important that like it doesn't matter that he gets to Gretzky. He's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Yeah. Like, go watch Gretzky highlights. Gretzky scored against goalies who didn't drop down to their knees regularly, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's a different world, a different sport. It literally looks like a different sport. Ovechkin is. I, I don't. I don't care where his career totals end up. Ovechkin's the best goal scorer I've ever seen. Uh, I think he's the best goal scorer of all time. And uh, you know, he's not going to need to be first all time in NHL goals for that to be true. Like, we should all just agree that that's true now. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just want to. I just want to go I don't out have there. A and, counter argument. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's it, anyone thinks otherwise. Like, get out of here with this Mike Bossy business, okay? Like, <laughs> when people are like telling me that Ovechkin's not the greatest goal scorer ever, it's like, come on. Yeah, I mean, look, Mike Bossy's a tremendous was a tremendous goal scorer too. Yeah. But awesome. just go watch the goal. It's like, oh, just go watch the highlights. It's crazy what Ovechkin has to do to score versus what those guys had to do to score. Yeah, like it's just a different sport. No, a hundred percent. The Dark Horse candidates here, I think, are McKinnon just because of his volume. Like, yep. it's insane. And, and he's actually, like, keeping pace with Ovechkin in terms of the shot totals. And which is, he's also got a relatively low shooting percentage yeah. on the power play, mm-hmm. um, which I think, you know, he, he'll probably get a few more bounces there uh, at five on four uh, going forward. So, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Nathan McKinnon's kind of the one guy that I'm side-eyeing as, as having a shot. So here's an honorable mention I'm going to give as a Dark Horse candidate. I do think there is going to be a year where Connor McDavid decides to just win this award. Like there's going to be a year. Crosby had that one year where he just scored an insane amount of goals, right? right. Like where it's like, it feels like McDavid doesn't want to. Cause like, that's not his nature. It's kind of like the, like LeBron James thing. Or like he wants to get his teammates involved and he's like much more comfortable as a playmaker, but he basically is, she's shooting more this year and he's still maintaining his efficiency and he's just so insane off the rush that like I do believe that he is a 17% shooter as crazy as that oh, sounds. Yeah. And so if he gets when that, everything's a breakaway. So if he gets <laughs> that volume to like he's been in like the mid 200s in terms of shots, it seems like he could conceivably just get it up to like 300 and if he maintains that efficiency, that's just 50 goals in the bank right there and I understand it's kind of you know loose math and easier said than done but when you watch him, it does feel like it's a matter of like him wanting to play that type of or wanting to beat you that way as opposed to getting someone else involved. So I don't know if he, he'll ever have that year where he does want to. But I mean, he's already got what the 19 goals and like 30 something games or something this year. Like he could uh, score 50 pretty easily this year. Yeah, I'll pick Ovi, Ovi to win it personally until um, he retires. I'm going to pick Ovi. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Pretty much. Or or until he falls off and like reinvents himself as a third line checker and <laughs> something ridiculous. And still scoring 30. You know, goals. I also I also like Ovechkin signed that deal that he's on now prior to the, you know, sort of onset of the eight year limit 
mm-hmm. right? And I, I can't remember exactly how many years it was, but I think it was like 12. Right. And I actually think it expires the year after this one, summer of 2021. Yeah, so two years and, uh, and he's now underpaid. Mm-hmm. Like, how ridiculous is that? I mean, I, I'm, I don't think you'd have to look very hard to find articles that are like, well, you had to do it, but it'll probably be a, yeah. you know, a, a tough deal toward the end. Which but it's was like probably a pretty fair take. Super accurate, super fair. Like the fact that he's not missing games and hasn't dropped an efficiency <laughs> no, at this the, point in his the career. The fact is that insane. he's underpaid by $6 million per year yeah. is like, like literally the savings on Ovechkin's contract are an additional top line forward for the Capitals. Yeah. Like there's a big reason they won the cap and the fact that, or the the cap, the cup. <laughs> yeah. And part of it is that Ovi's underpaid by $6 million a year. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. Let's do the heart. Um, what's your, what's, what's your list looking like? Right McDavid's now? one for yeah. me. Uh, you know, I just think he's, you know, he's definitely and, the best player in the world. He's the best player yeah. in the world. And he's the best player on the, in the world for a team that, you know, I say I give Vancouver credit because they're winning with four top six forwards on true talent. Like the Edmonton Oilers have two mind-bendingly good forwards, yeah. and you know Zach Cassian's top ten in the league and even strength goal scored. <laughs> and you know uh, James Neal has ten on the power play. And and guess how many goals they'd have if they didn't play with Drysaitel and McDavid, right? Like it's not they're yeah. not <laughs> they're wrote, not that good. I like wrote that. this thing for for ESPN this week where it's like I, I tried to look at um, how players are performing this year in terms of like the shots they're taking right and then how many goals we'd expect them to have based on their career norms or over the past three years how they mm-hmm. shot and like the two of the guys in the top five that are just shattering their expectations are cassian and neil because right. cassian's playing with them at five on five and neil on the power play it's like yeah when those two guys are passing the puck to you you're probably going to shoot significantly higher than yeah, you did at other you're shooting in the empty nets yeah. <laughs> uh no look they uh I mean, for me, McDavid's just the best in the world, and and you know, I come back to I come back to that game three weeks ago, right, where McDavid was on that unholy tear, and uh, you know, they roll into Edmonton, and I remember showing up at the rink, and people are like, "Well, you know, I never thought that I'd say McDavid's got any competition for being the best player in the world, but." With what McKinnon's doing, like it's becoming a conversation, and then McDavid goes out and just tears the Avs apart, right? Yeah. Like destroys them. And to me, that was like some I can swear, right? Yeah, because that was some alpha shit, yeah. right? Like that was straight up, um, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah, you're reminding us who the king is. And for me, the only other, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. the only other candidate for me would be McKinnon. Yeah, uh, at least like serious candidate. And um, and you know, I think we've seen that McDavid has no time for that. And, you know, what McKinnon did with Alabama's Coggin Ranch unreal, crazy though. Crazy. I mean, McKinnon's the second best player in the world, yeah. right? But he is the second best player in the world. I love how, um, I agree with that. I do like both guys are insanely fast, but I love how like the contrasting styles of like McKinnon is so like violent in terms of like his movements. It's like so much like jittery, like stop and start. Like it seems right. like you just like can't, like it's it's crazy what he does whereas McKinnon's just this more um, McDavid's this more like fluid like point A to point B he just like kind of yeah. glides at full speed up and down the ice but well, do you remember Event Horizon the movie no. Sam Neill rips his eyes out it's it's like a spaceship that basically finds the devil in a black hole okay. anyway there's this idea that like at one point in the thing they're like what's the fastest way to point from point A to point B and someone draws like a line across the paper and they're like no and they fold the paper and it's like that's what McDavid does <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true um yeah i think it, it is McK- mckinnon versus mcdavid and then 
I wanted to give Jack Eichel some love here. I don't think he's like a viable candidate to win this award, but like just in terms of doing the most with the least and putting the team on his back and these past 14 games um, of his, he has this like point streak going where he's basically like two points a game and, and he's nuts like watching him through the neutral zone. And um, he's also an interesting guy because he has always been a volume shooter with low efficiency. And now he's, maintaining the volume while shooting more efficiently. He's shooting like 17%. And I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but it does remind me a bit of what happened in in McKinnon's career where he started off his career as this guy who was like shooting 9%. And then all of a sudden in year four or five, he figured it out. And I wonder if a little bit of that is happening with Eichel and how much that changes his sort of career trajectory, because he's never been a huge goal scorer, despite the fact that he's been one of the most dominant players in the league since he entered. Jack Eichel would be on my ballot if I was like if I was filling out my ballot I'd have McDavid one McKinnon two I'd have Jack Eichel and then you know not no no specific order but three through five I'd have in some order Brad Marchand Connor Hellebuck and Jack Eichel. Mm. All right, uh, plug some stuff. Let's get out of here. That was uh... sounds good. Uh, subscribe to the Athletic. Yeah. Uh, use one of those good promo codes, or or just make sure to click on my articles before you subscribe. Nice. Also, the Vancast with J Pat and Drancer. We drop that twice a week. Once on any podcatcher you use to listen to podcasts like this one, and once behind the paywall at the Athletic. I also contribute to TSN ten forty. So tune in to Halford and Bruff. Uh, in the mornings, especially if you're in Vancouver or or use the TSN 1040 Listen Live link online. Quick Google search will get you there. Thanks for having me, Dimitri. Always good fun. This was a blast, man. We'll, uh, this is the 30 game mark. We'll check back in later in the season and Let's see do uh, it. where we went right and where we went wrong. Check out all of Durant's work, and uh, it was a pleasure, man. We'll chat soon. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.